Welcome to the Delling Pod with me, James Delling Pod. I know I always say I'm really excited about this big special guest, but I am. I love this man, and I uh, I owe him a podcast. I mean, the number of months uh, I've I've been saying to myself, you must get David Curtin on the podcast. He's a great guy. David, one of the things I like about you is you. You're about the only politician or the only leader of any political party or, or, or whatever that I've seen at anti-lockdown demos. I mean, they should all be there. They should all be. Mm. Where, where, where is Nigel bloody Farage, for example? Well, this is what I think. I mean, it's astonishing that all this is going on in our country, that our civil liberties have been taken away and destroyed. And there's yeah. nobody there from politics apart from me. Um, you you're, know, you're sounding quite, quite fuzzy. I don't know. Just, just sorry. Okay, if I shall, I just move this up. I don't know if that's yeah. That's is that better? Probably sounding, sounding a bit better. Yeah, because particularly okay. for the audio, people will just get. You know, yeah, they're always having a go at me. They're always whining about my sound and stuff. And oh yeah, yeah okay. I'm not. I'm not a sound engineer. <laughs> that's but, so okay. Tell me, or rather, tell us for those of those who don't haven't a clue who David Curtin is. You lead the Heritage Party? Yeah, that's right. It's a new party. And we started setting it up in the summer, announced it in September. And I set it up to be a socially conservative party because there just isn't one of those in the United Kingdom. You know, you've got the, the conservatives are supposed to be conservative, but they're anything but. And there's a lot of people who vote for Labour in the traditional heartlands who are actually very socially conservative. But the Labour Party long ago abandoned the labouring man. So um, that's why I set up the Heritage Party as a party that will defend and um, speak up for our heritage, our history, our culture and so on, and free speech and liberty, which has become increasingly important this year with all of the COVID uh, situation. And I wouldn't say COVID itself, but the response to it from the government, which has been absolutely appalling. Yeah, um, you totally get that and I, I i respect you for that because um what we need i think you'll probably agree what we need now more than anything is a kind of political movement which reacts to this i, I mean we've got a situation at the moment where our two main political parties are both dedicated to the destruction of the british economy i i, I mean you know the conservatives are bad but if you're looking for opposition from Labour, Labour are saying, yeah, we should lock down even harder than we are. They're not they're not saying end the lockdown now. Yeah, that, that's absolutely right. I mean, you, you might expect this from Labour. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. If, yeah, even if they would have done this, but the, the Conservatives have been uh, absolutely shocking. But, you know, Labour are doing the same thing in Wales and the SNP are doing the same thing in Scotland. So, you know, it's that's all, true. Yeah, all working together. <laughs> you know, so, you know, they, they would do exactly the same thing, whoever was in power. But, yeah, I mean, I first... Um, saw this happening in March and I thought look there's something wrong with this here because just on one day the media narrative suddenly changed and it was all let's go to lockdown if you don't agree with us you're an idiot you're selfish you're um, you know you're a fool whatever and, you're, and then, you're then a cov idiot 
yeah that's that's a word that they made up i i heard that as one of these new smear words that they've made so um right back then i thought this is wrong and i initially it was because of the um destruction of civil liberties that this was going to bring in i mean if if this really were something that was a serious serious disease like the black death that killed a third of people in europe um yeah i might say okay we need to have a few restrictions but this is clearly nothing like that at all this is just like what happens Except in a normal season i would i would contend david that even if this were the black death and even if a third of the population were being killed that still would be no argument for lockdowns because um we know for example that the vaccine that they've come up with doesn't stop you catching or transmitting covid because if it did they wouldn't be saying you've still got to socially isolate and you've still got to wear your masks although those are ineffective too um but also we know because there's at least 30 studies on the subject from around the world telling us that lockdowns do not work the, the some of the countries that have had the strictest lockdowns for example peru argentina have also had the highest death tolls. So there's no correlation between lockdowns and, and low mortality. At the other end, you've got Sweden, which didn't have a lockdown, but which, is, which has had mortality rates not dissimilar to those experienced in, in, in very lockdown-y countries. It seems, to, seems that this virus does its own thing. And probably this is what happened with the Black Death as well, that, that it seemed to strike some people I've just I've just been reading my Bernard Cornwell, um, the, 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 set in 1346, where um, when the Black Deaths first started going around Europe, and it it was odd the way it just sort of took some people and didn't take others, mm. and the ones that survived, well, it, it, the 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 plague became endemic in the population, and not everyone died. They acquired immunity, which is what happens. Yeah. And and there we are. So even even if we were having the Black Death or even if we we're having the Spanish flu, I still think lockdowns are wrong. Right? And I hope you do as well. Yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, now now it's really a moot point because you know, Black Death actually is a bacteria. And uh, now we have antibiotics, which you didn't have in those days. So, you know, I mean, now we. Can, oh, we that's can a good point. Yeah, we so, can treat yeah, you it. had bubonic plague and you had pneumonic plague, didn't you? Mm. You had the two different sorts, one which was spread by breathing and one was spread by flea bites is that right I'm, I, sounds like you're you're no. more clued up than i am <laughs> i i don't know too much about the pneumonic plague but the bubonic plague yeah that that's the one that's spread by flea bites i think so yeah that's that that can be killed with antibiotics now which, which um yeah so so that that's not that's not an issue really anymore but so maybe a know, better example would be the spanish flu which which yeah. did did kill what at least 10 times as many people mm -hmm certainly as a proportion of the population than this pandemic has done and we didn't we didn't close down the global economy then did we no no we didn't no, not at all um you know it, it took its toll and again i think um people with underlying health issues probably were affected more um you got another example of the hong kong flu in 1968 1969 and everyone was just getting on with life and going out to these big festivals during the season and nobody seemed to even think about it you know they just people were getting on with things and so you know this is yeah I'm, I'm thinking 68 
Was that when the Stones released Paint It Black? I think it might have been. Wasn't wasn't Altamont in 1968 as well? The, the, the one where the Hells Angels beat a man to death at the uh, at the, the, the race circuit. It was the sort of the, it was the the death knell of the uh, peace and love 60s, wasn't it? Well, but yeah. even so, life went on regardless. Without it did, it did, and and so it should today as well. This is what you've been saying, and I've been saying, and a few other brave souls have like stuck their heads above the parapet right at the beginning, you know. And uh, you know they'll always be honoured for that, and other people have joined in. But um, yeah, I think some people, as we've gone on, have seemed to have jumped on the bandwagon, have seen, oh, there's maybe a lot of political capital in being anti-lock down and so on whereas at the beginning um they, they, they kept their mouths absolutely quiet um but you know when I've you been... say that david i i would love it i i don't care if if people join our side who have been awful at the you know wrong at the beginning but i'm not sure i share your optimism i don't think that people are joining us i think on the contrary you've got people who were skeptics people like it was Alistair Hames, who I did a podcast with. He's he's sort of done a pulled a Yui. Mm. Um, there's the the think tankers from the Institute of Economic Affairs, the IAEA, a free market think tank run by alleged alleged libertarians, and, and all these libertarians have suddenly become ardent enthusiasts of of, of big government and the crushing of small businesses and and the destruction of jobs through this weird authoritarianism mm-hmm. um so i i'd love to i tell me i mean if you if, if you you're finding people joining our our camp now yeah well i i, I think they? you know the sort of i think the people in the, the brexit party for example richard tice and so on that might have been uh for it at the beginning i mean certainly now talking about the the great barrington declaration came out in support of that as i did as well you know so there, there's one um you know julia hartley brewer has sort of come on you know through the summer i think and is now you know a, a very much against the lockdown um you know because of the effect it's having on schools and and so on these kind of things you know yeah. um good good on on that side of things um so but then you say there's others that have they've gone the other way which is quite shocking as well and uh, i think you know this year, what's happened is that the government and the mainstream media have added another um, ingredient to the mix of their propaganda, which is now with the rollout of the vaccines. is like they're saying, vaccines are the way out of this. And the thing with that that's really diabolically clever, I mean, it's wrong and it's wicked, but it's very clever, is that it's got people who are against the lockdown to kind of accept vaccines because, okay, well, let's all take a vaccine because that's our way out of it. And that's then stopped people from focusing uh, against the lockdown, which is what we should be doing. Because whether there's a vaccine or not, the lockdown is wrong, it's unnecessary, it's disproportionate, it's destructive. But people are now um, taken on that narrative and are thinking, okay, well, we'll just get everybody vaxxed up and then we can get out of it in April and May or July, which is exactly what the... um, 
behavioral psychologists behind the government want everybody to um, assimilate and uh, uh, some people have done that which is uh, rather frightening I think and uh, I'll tell you another thing I think sorry I'm talking a lot but another interesting thing I noticed um, with the you know back last month in January there was this whole fabricated argument between the UK and the EU and how wonderful Britain is because we got the vaccine all the mainstream media who for years and years and years were all completely against Brexit Europhiles to the extreme and now bashing the EU because aren't we wonderful let's all be patriotic and support our government for getting all the vaccines into us and uh, that was a very very interesting sub-narrative that's gone on to try to get I think patriotic people and Brexiteers to support the lockdown and the vaccine um, strategy which the government seems to be pushing so there's a couple of things I think that have actually if you're not really looking into it and um, you're not keeping on your toes and watching the you know the possible um, strategies of the behavioral psychologists these can trap you into accepting the narratives that is well observed and well remembered I'd forgotten about that dirty little trick in fact um one of my editors said, do you fancy doing a piece about about how, you know, thanks to Brexit, we've got access to these vaccines? <laughs> and I said, fuck off. I'm not I'm not running. I'm not writing a government propaganda um, article, which is which is actually all I'll be doing. Mm. You're absolutely right. It's stank. In fact, I think the whole the whole business and, and you, you might agree with me, despite being a, a, a a fellow ardent Brexiteer, that um, when I when I see when I see a conservative column columnist exulting or just discussing Brexit generally, I reach for my shotgun because I know that what's going on here is a distraction technique. It's 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 designed to pretend that we are living in the old normal still, and that and that somehow. Brexit was our pro- it is it remains our priority, and, and that we've still got this government that we voted in to deliver Brexit, and and it's all okay, and we're all we're all free, and government does its job. And I'm thinking, no, this <laughs> Brexit is is utterly meaningless, actually. Mm. Uh, that that you remember you remember back during the days where we were all trying to get Brexit and make it happen, and there were Remainer economists. Mm. Uh, and, and such like, telling us that we would lose X amount of our GDP if we <laughs> if if Brexit happened, and I can't remember what, what percentage of G- GDP they claim we lose, but this is the year when in one quarter GDP fell by something like twenty percent. Mm. Uh, we've we've had the worst economic collapse since. Uh, in 300 years since the great since the great freeze when the Thames froze over Mm. and I don't think it's over by any stretch we're living on methadone aren't we at the moment the the furlough money borrowed money (laughs) it is it's either borrowed from what we have now or it's um we're going to have to borrow it in the future to pay back the Bank of England, you know, that are creating the money for the, bar- the government to borrow. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, all these stories come out 
in the so-called conservative mainstream media saying how wonderful Brexit is. But then, you know, because, oh, we could do more business, but there aren't any businesses doing much business. I mean, particularly the, the shops and the, the, the hospitality businesses and so on that have been absolutely decimated. I, I mean, I think that there's still some manufacturing going on, perhaps, but you know, not not as much as as before. I mean, the, the the businesses that are doing really well are the massive global corporations, you know, big tech and um, businesses like Amazon and so on, which have like soaked up yeah. um, the market share from the small businesses, which are getting decimated. So actually. You know, you, you can ask in any kind of crisis like this, cui bono? I mean, who is benefiting? It is the big global corporations, so so they they are they're benefiting. Um, so they they've got no incentive to call for an end to lockdown um, because they're going to lose their market share back to the small and medium-sized businesses uh, as soon as it ends. And you know, <laughs> providing that they they uh, still exist and can reopen, um, which sadly. I I think a lot of them won't. Mm. Yeah. So, do you, do you you're um you're you're a member of the London Assembly? Yes. Is, 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 yeah. that, is that your 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 job? So that, is that your, that your is. day job? You go That's, in there my day job well i did go in there actually i don't go in there anymore physically because we're not allowed in the building it's just uh, it's absolutely so you get you, you get are you on full salary uh yes i'm i'm still on full salary yeah we we didn't have a pay pay rise this year so i mean they didn't give, do that which is um you know fair enough but yeah I, I still am so are the other assembly members and so on are you um, working for your money what, what i mean how do you, do you have sort of zoom yeah zoom calls or what well, the the committee meetings and mayor's question time is still going on, but they're done like this. They're done on Zoom or um, Microsoft Teams or something like that. So yeah, we still do, and there's still a lot of emails come in and reports that they write and so on. But um, yeah, but we can't go into the building. So I mean, one of the great things about you know it it is uh yeah it's not a very pretty building, but it's in a nice location next to Tower Bridge, and so people can come and meet us, and we can talk to business people and other people from around london who come to the building to, to to you know to talk about what's going on in london but we can't do that at all now so um you know this is this Would, yeah actually let me get your perspective um do you think it's fair to say that london is finished i mean the, the i i don't see how two, two reasons first of all we seem to be entering a new world where well, the hospitality industry, the pubs and restaurants and stuff, are going to be so constrained by regulations that a lot of people find really off-putting, like to do with masks and one-way things and, and perspex screens and, 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 and so on. I wonder whether, whether many of those restaurants and bars that have closed will recover, number one. And number two, you've got the issue of why would you go to London? Why would you commute to London to, to, to your overpriced or to, to, yeah, why would you commute to London or, 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 or buy an overpriced property in London when you can work from home? How is London going to survive? 
Yeah, it's going to be very, very difficult. I mean, especially central London, which is um, in the past was a huge generator of economic activity and, uh, you know, income and revenue for for the country. I mean, the um, the central zone and Canary Wharf, a massively disproportionate um, part of the economy. I think it's even an eighth or something just in the central London uh, zone because of the financial services industry. But a lot of that's just going to go because, yeah, as you say the working patterns have entirely changed and um you know even if we do get back to a situation where um all the restrictions are lifted people have now got used to working at home uh, and so a lot of businesses who have got office space are actually cutting their office space because they save money and it's more um, efficient for them to have people go into the office maybe two or three days a week but you know work at home from two or three days a week and, and then people don't have to commute in every day so I mean that's something that might have happened anyway because of you know advances in technology but instead of of it happening gradually over 10 or 20 years it's happened all at once and i don't think that that's going to go back to normal um but because of that you know um you, you say all the the sort of um hospitality businesses many many of which rely on the financial services industry for customers you know you go into work then you go out and you you have yeah, lunch yeah. or you have dinner you go to the theater after and they've work, got money to burn car. yeah exactly i mean the, the, a lot of them are gone already you know because we've been this nearly a year so so many pubs and you know cafes and restaurants have already closed you know for good and small shops have closed for good they're not coming back um the ones which you know might come back might have some connection to a, a chain you know pub or a chain of uh, you know hospitalities a, a bigger parent company i mean they'll probably come back um but but you know but, but as you say no one wants to go to the theater if you've got to wear a mask and then not sit next to anybody and uh, or no one wants to go to a pub if you have to stick a face visor on you and you can't go to the bar and you have to sit on your own and all of these rules i mean it's just not nice i i'd That's rather it. just beat my friends in my house rather than go there with all these restrictions and rules and people barking at you because you're you know you're not wearing a lanyard that says you've got an exemption or something you know it's uh, yeah. ridiculous ridiculous this is this is what i'm already detecting on social media chat groups you know telegram and stuff people are saying right I'm going to make my own entertainment. Mm. People are people are forming little little kind of collectives of of whatever you want to call them of of, of, of friends, and their social life in future will be outside the commercial system. Mm. So people are the, the the market will always find a way. Individuals will always find a yeah. way to to find a kind of modus vivendi, regardless of how you know, even. Even in the in the behind the Iron Curtain, people mm. found a way, didn't they, of of, of grabbing what pleasures they could, mm. and I'm sure it'll it'll be the same in the new totalitarianism. But it's mm. it seems to me that we are having a great reset of our of our economic system. Do do you get any sense at all from your 
from the London Assembly that people are alive to this problem because they seem to be you've got you've got the awful Sadiq Khan do you, mm. do you have to see him every day when you, when <laughs> unfortunately not every day I actually only get a very small amount of time every month to question him because mayor's question time is only once a month and we each get six minutes of time to question him so I don't get very much at all but I try to make the most of it and uh, you know throw him some pertinent questions about what's going on and uh, he never or very rarely gives a straight answer and then just diverts into you know um trying to make me look silly or something else i mean i i, I asked him um about the the um the vaccines the other day and uh, and i you know which which i'm concerned about because i'm Personally, I, I, I think they're experimental, they're rushed. Um, you know, I'm not an anti-vaxxer, but I wouldn't take these COVID vaccines, some of which are uh, experimental RNA vaccines, the, the Pfizer one and the Moderna one. And so I, I said to him, you know... Um, are any of them not... Um rna the the astrazeneca one is not it's um it's more like a a, a traditional vaccine but it's it's it's, ba it's basically genetically modified chimp adenovirus you know which um is grown in uh, uh human kidney cells so it's not something that i particularly want myself and not something i particularly think i need because you know for for all of us our own immune systems are, are more than able to cope with sars-cov-2 you know it's the one to sadly die you know uh, have an average age of 83 and most have underlying health conditions so i think it's utterly ridiculous to try to get everybody vaccinated for something that the vast majority of people can overcome with their own immune systems that's why we've got an immune system yeah. and it can cope with mutations as well i mean we, the idea that that is being put out at the moment that we'll we'll need modifications of the vaccine for every um mutation that happens i mean that's that's just ridiculous you know in in my opinion yeah. so i asked sadiq khan about this and i particularly asked him about you know how can you say they're safe when there hasn't been any long-term safety testing, particularly for pregnant women and women of childbearing age. And um, then he's, he just basically started talking about, um, well, um, they're, they're, there's people who are dying and uh, how do you think they feel? And he started going into the emotional, oh, the feels, yeah. telling the heartbreaking stories, but not answering the question. I had to bring him back to the you not answering the question and so on. But... This is how he deflects, um, you know, with, with the, the answers and doesn't give a straight answer, for example. But, you know, everybody can see that he's not giving a straight answer um, because he doesn't have an answer <laughs> so to, to something like that. And if he was going to give a straight answer, it would be completely against um, the narratives that uh, Tory and Labour are, are pushing together almost in lockstep. So, David, did, did you start... Were you in the Brexit party or were you, were you in UKIP or, or I, I any of those? Yeah, I was in UKIP. I, I was in UKIP back in the glory days of UKIP, you know, 2012 to 2016. So I was elected onto the London Assembly just before the referendum. That's when it was. It was you know, just about five years ago now. Um, and uh, yeah, sadly, after the referendum, UKIP just went downhill over the next three years and it never became the party I'd hoped it would become. I always hoped it would be uh, become a, a properly socially conservative party, which we need. And I tried to steer it in that direction, but uh, it never quite got there. And now, well, it's what direction? What direction do you think it went in? Um, 
Gosh, there, there were for for two or three years there were a lot of people fighting uh, each other about what it was going to be. And the thing is, it's had so many leaders since Nigel Farage stepped down. I think it's now on its tenth leader. So with every leader, they they sort of tried to steer it in a slightly different direction. Um, uh, you know, there was you you remember Henry Bolton, for example, he was a leader, and you know, it got got ridiculed for the sort of things that he did when he was was a leader, and then it uh, did, mm, unfortunately, and but, then. <laughs> but in a way, do you not do you not think that the the Brexit, sorry, the UKIP was destroyed by the Brexit Party when when because Farage, Farage knew that he was the um the crowd puller. And and once he kind of dissociated himself from UKIP, that was that was it. It was game over. He used their their pull to big up the Brexit party. Um, Yeah, you're absolutely right. Mm. Yeah, that was a big factor, a massive factor in in his decline, because a lot of yeah, he started up the Brexit party, which I think was needed. And it was a unique time that was never, never happened again. But it was everything was just right. You know, all the waves came together for Nigel Farage to start the Brexit party. You know, Theresa May had betrayed Brexit. There were the European elections just coming up um, a few weeks afterwards. And and, uh, everyone was just absolutely incensed at the conservative party and so he started that up um they they ran an amazing campaign you got to hand it to them back in um april they may did. 2019 really really it was quite campaign. Mm. it was quite trumpian i thought there were there were lots of lots of rallies yeah well attended with rousing speeches by nigel obviously and by Unlikely guests like um, Václav Klaus, for example, mm. the former Czech Czech president, who's a, a an ardent libertarian and sort of anti-communist. I mean, he's I think he's one of the few global politicians who really gets it because he's lived he's lived under under communist oppression, so he knows whereof he speaks. Mm. A lot of them, a lot, a lot of them, just just they'll blow with the wind, won't they? I think, and I'm, I'm afraid to say I, I would include. Nigel in in that category he's the, the, there's no question in the early days he he helped fight you know put put um leaving the EU as an issue on the map and 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 he fought a good fight but in the last 18 months he's been almost my biggest disappointment he's you saw him clapping like a demented seal for the NHS you know that what that, when we had to go through this kind of cultural revolution type um compulsory display of 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 worship for the dear leader of the nhs um or maybe i'm confusing it with north korea but it's it felt pretty pretty totalitarian to me and then uh he really hasn't held the government to account he hasn't he hasn't called them on their lockdown policy or on their mask policy or any of this else why do you think that why do you think he's been such a wet fart yeah it's a mystery to me you know because back in the day we were we were in ukip together i mean i you know it was, it was fantastic but but yeah since since then i you know it was um the brexit party was a a very strange phenomenon because it did so well in the european elections and then a few months later six months later in the general election that boris johnson won 
He said he wasn't going to stand. He pulled out, almost crushed the party, and handed power on a plate to the Conservatives. Yes. Uh, and, now, and what's your what's your theory there? You must have <laughs> I, could, a theory. I could be. I mean, anyway, I was actually still standing for UKIP in those elections because after they pulled out, um, you know, I, I I saw an opportunity to try to, you know, be a candidate myself. So I stood in, you know, Bognor Regis and Littlehampton, where I'm from, but unfortunately didn't didn't uh, do very well um, because everyone just rallied to the Conservatives. I mean, you know, the, there's two theories, and you know, I I don't know which is is the correct one. Um, you know, some people oh, think, tell me the tell me the two theories. Well, some people think, you know, he did it for Brexit. Um, he did it because, you know, Brexit was everything and all. And, and this was the only way to get Brexit. Other people think he did a, a deal, uh, you know, behind closed doors with the Conservatives and and, and everything he did handed power to them. And, and that was a, some kind of deal. I mean, I don't know one way or the other. I mean, because I don't, I'm not party to, you know, the conversations which, which were had. I was never. Oh, no, he keeps, his, exit party, he keeps so. his cards close to his, his chest. See, the other, the, my other problem was, I, I, I think Farage is controlled opposition. I don't trust him at all. I, I, I've, in the past, I found him very agreeable company. You know, he's, he's, he used to be a Thatcherite, I think. He used to be where I am. <laughs> politically although i wouldn't describe myself as a thatcherite particularly now but 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 he was he believed in limited government personal responsibility free markets all the sort of the basic things that i i, I think we should we on on the what you might loosely call the right ought to believe in but i've had quite a few dealings with him over the years and i i don't trust him I think his control opposition, and I think worse than that, I think he is totally dog in the manger. He loves to destroy any insurgent parties that aren't that aren't under his control, and in in a way, he's he's actually harming the the system at the moment because what he's doing is by still sort of making out that he is a, a political alternative. He's attracting votes that might otherwise go towards people who would genuinely resist mm. this this tyranny. And he's not doing that. But what he's doing is he's helping to kill the chances of people like you mm. and people like Lawrence Fox with his party. I mean, they've mm. even got similar names, haven't they? What The Brexit party is now called the... Reform. Re Reform UK. Reform. Reform. Yeah. And Lawrence yeah. Fox's party is called Reclaim. Re Reclaim. Yeah. Exactly. I mean they're mm. bloody similar, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, they are. It's I mean... like if if you wanted to name your party something to screw up Lawrence Fox, that would be the thing to do, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, it would. I mean, it, you know, I it's um I announced the, the the Heritage Party publicly at the end of September, and then Lawrence Fox announced his reclaim um, a couple of days later. And then, that's what I said earlier, uh, about a month or a month and a half later, Nigel Farage, you know, who who had deactivated the Brexit Party, which is why I did this because they weren't doing anything. Um, suddenly yeah, yeah. says, "Oh, I'm going to bring the Brexit Party back to life, and we're going to rename it Reform, and we yeah, change politics for good," which is what they said. And you know, I I, I bought into that um, 
propaganda back in 2019, the whole change politics for good, we're here to stay, um, but they weren't here to stay, and then they deactivated, but then suddenly something viable comes along, you know, um, and then he de- activates the party again, yeah, change politics for good, and we're going to reform everything, we're anti-lockdown, when actually there's genuine grassroots anti-lockdown movements, you know, uh, well, I'm not, I'm not a movement, I'm a political party, you know, with, with a full manifesto. And um, yeah, like you say, this is, um, there is controlled opposition around, you know, and, uh, there, you know, it, it doesn't surprise me that the, the powers that be will deliberately try to split the vote of any challengers. And, you know, I've seen this with the London elections you know i said um last january it was just over a year ago i'm going to stand for the london mayor and assembly elections and there was no competition at all for you know seven or eight months and then suddenly there's brian rose and there's this other woman called farah london and then the richard tice is thinking of standing for it as well and um the ukip have stuck a candidate in called peter gammons um i i didn't even know ukip was 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 thinking of stump you know standing but suddenly you got three or four candidates who are representing similar things to me, but they didn't come to say, oh, look, can we work together? They're just setting themselves up as opposition. And so I would, I, you know, some of them are probably genuine individuals, but some of them I wouldn't be surprised if they were um, controlled opposition funded by, you know, the Tory donors and so on, which, which are there to split the vote. Mm. Well, it's the, not that I really care. Because um, I think it, is Sadiq, Sadiq Khan standing again? He is. Yeah, he's he's standing. So he's going to win oh, because he's. We got to try and stop it, you know. Well, he, of we have. Possibility is, I got to go for it, you know. <laughs> got to try to. David, stop winning I again. would like nothing more than for you to be mayor, and I'd I'd much prefer you over ghastly Sean Bailey, who's just you know another squishy conservative doesn't probably hasn't got a conservative bone in his body uh or at least not a not a kind of not on the terms i outlined earlier he's just going to be more of the more of the same but i mean you haven't got a chance no well um i am positive james i'm being positive i'm going for it you know i'm going for the win but obviously it's um you know you you've got to be understand the reality of the situation you wouldn't. One reason I wouldn't vote for you is no. The one reason I wouldn't vote for you is you your, the sound is still no, no. It's your sound is still really shit on your on your on that microphone. I mean, I know I, I know you, it's important that you prefer prepare for your your future career as a telephone salesman in <laughs> I mean, telephone. What are they called? The people who sit on the end of the telephone and, and answer your queries. Operators or something. Yeah. Well, whatever. I don't know. Um, but you're. I don't. I don't. I just. I, I mean, this this is bad coming from me because I'm famous for my bad production quality. But I would say that your microphone is not is not is not doing its thing. Wow! Because um, right. actually, in real life, you've got you, you know you're 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 quite a you've you've got quite a presence, and um, uh, it's I think it's d- diminishing you slightly because it because it's making you sound like slightly reedy, um, which you're not. Uh, uh, that's that's terrible, isn't it? I'm going to have to sort that out. <laughs> I'm glad you, you told. Um, glad you told me. 
Yeah, it's yeah. It's, well, look, like, honestly, how much did how much did those did that equipment cost? Those headphones. Yes, I think it cost about um, twenty five pounds or something like that. Yeah, twenty five pounds from, from Mister. I was about to say Mister Byright, but Mister Byright. Do they do? Do they do do men's clothes? I forget. Do you remember Mister Byright? I don't. I don't. Was, is it like is it like Poundland? Is it? It was spelt. It was spelt Mister and then B Y R I T E. I, I I don't know what. There's there's a whole world that that one is completely forgotten about. Um, you know the world before. I mean, Klaus Schwab is right in one respect. We are going to talk about the world before COVID and after COVID. And basically, before COVID is the entirety of Western civilization, and after COVID is is just this new kind of. Um, totalitarian technocratic terror i'm so bleak about things i don't know about you are you are you do you find any cause for optimism anywhere i see some things happening in europe you know i see more resistance in some of the the countries like the netherlands and austria they're going out marching in the streets of vienna every weekend with huge huge demonstrations i see pushback in denmark you know there's a lot of people going out there marching banging their pots and pans um Denmark still wants to bring in passports. No, no, <laughs> not not for actually for freedom. Thank goodness, you know, which is what we should be banging our, banging our pots for. You know, not, not the sort of yeah, the clap for the NHS, dear oh dear. But uh, yeah, there and you know, and there's Florida. You've got Governor DeSantis who's like, yeah, we're not we're not enforcing any of these rules. People are just it's going out. Florida, yeah. Yeah, South Dakota, you got a really good governor there who's like yeah, never never done any lockdowns or masks. So there there are small areas of the world where people are resisting, but this country, I mean, what on earth has happened? I mean, it's the the there was some resistance back in the summer and you know, I was part of it. You had these wonderful freedom rallies in Trafalgar Square. I spoke at one of them on the 19th of September. And these were the ones where the police came in with like um, you know squads of riot police to. They came in hard. Crowds, yeah, and and they've been so brutal in London. Uh, it's been so shocking. But I think people are are actually now genuinely terrified of you know either being attacked by a policeman or being getting one of these draconian fines which was a hundred and then it was two hundred and then a thousand now it's up to ten thousand you know th this really is totalitarian the governance that we've got here from why well, call yeah. i call it the johnson regime because it is like a regime now you know it's not not like a government at all um but you know i think uh, when the weather gets a bit warmer i hope that we'll start to see more resistance like this again in this country but it's a, I, I just think that there's a growing uh under the surface you know um tension i wouldn't call it a rage but an, an opposition you know we're, we're just a, a dissatisfaction uh, you know that i think this could bubble up you know and we might see uh, people going to the streets again like they do like they're, they're doing in in you know certain parts of europe um barcelona for example is interesting because i think there some of the police are now taking the side of the citizens. You know, some of the police have said, right, we're not going to enforce this. We're actually marching with the citizens for freedom, which is incredible. You really need, to, you know, any kind of real resistance to this has got to get the police and the military 
on the side of the people. And it's crazy that I'm talking like this. Here I am, you know, I've always supported the police and, and the, the rule of law all my life. But honestly, these laws are repugnant. They are so repugnant. They're repugnant like Nazi laws and Bolshevik laws. They really are that level uh, of, of um, you know, uh, tyranny uh, and and we need to we need to speak out and, and resist uh, in, in you know for I don't whatever think you're exaggerating mm. yeah do, and do, do, have shocked. you noticed the difference mm. how do you explain the difference in policing between the way that the the, the light touch policing of the extinction rebellion um rallies which which lasted days at a time and involved the closing down of, of, of thoroughfares, of bridges and, and damage to property and all manner of things. We know that the cost in police overtime ran into, into millions. We know that the economic damage ran into the millions. And yet the police were very, very gentle with the demonstrators. Same with Black Lives Matter. The Black Lives Matter, they vandalized statues. They were, they were, they were threatening. They chased the police. Mm. And yet... The police sort of shrugged their shoulders and didn't really get them, didn't really fight back. But with all the lockdown rallies, a the the, the anti-lockdown, a the police have turned up mob-handed. I mean, in mm. numbers out of all proportion to the number of demonstrators. And secondly, they've they've deployed the most aggressive elements in the police. I mean, some of them didn't even have English accents. It's almost as though I think I've had r- rumours. I don't know whether you've heard these that. They've been sort of recruiting mercenaries from other countries, mm. you know, thugs, to to do this policing. I've heard rumours of that, but I, I I haven't been able to back it up. I mean, that might be true, it might not be true, but I have seen them. You know, I've seen the, the TSG in, in London, the Territorial Support Group. They come in, they're the riot police, and they, you know, they come in batons drawn, and some of them hit people over the head, you know, and draw blood. Of peaceful people. I mean, it's. I've I've been in situations. Most shocking was I was at a a small protest. Uh, it was in about you know the end of October in Parliament Square, um, and there was you know as many police as there were protesters. They were going in, picking off individual people, and some of them were women. You know, just women, young women. 20 guys picking off a woman, bundling her to the ground, you know, kneeling on her, um, you, bun- you, you know, causing incredible distress to someone who's just, you know, there protesting, you know, for freedom. And, you know, again and again, they... they and took peacefully people. protesting as well. There peacefully was no violence protesting. there, was there? Exactly. There, there would be no violence at all if the police had just left people alone. I mean, they were not blocking the public highway. I mean, all of these things have either been on Parliament Square or on Trafalgar Square, not in the roads, unlike um, Black Lives Matter and um, Extinction Rebellion. Um, But they've gone in, as you say, mob-handed, and it's been absolutely appalling. But, you know, you said the Extinction Rebellion, it's what the state wants. I mean, they support the whole green agenda, Agenda 2030, sustainable development. Let's all get rid of cars because, you know, the the powers that be in the World Economic Forum and so on, they don't like people having the independence of cars to drive around. So basically, they're just useful idiots who are helping them to create... 
uh, a total control system where you know we'll be controlled because we give up our independence and um, you know we, we we just have a bicycle well you're not going to get very far on a bicycle if you're in no. trouble are you so um they're they're actually i think these people some of them are agitators but some of them are just silly useful idiots you know and uh, they don't realize you know what they're actually doing yeah yeah no i, I agree with you um it's what it, i mean we're entering some very very scary times do you think about it you think only two years ago if we if we'd been talking about this situation we could we could barely have conceived of of a scenario in which when you went on a protest in london about anything because you know we 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 pride ourselves on our right to protest and on freedom of speech mm. that the police would go in hard if you if you were protesting peacefully that yeah. wouldn't have happened before i can't remember when it would have happened no um no. but this was different yeah it, it we, was we, yeah. we we have got fascism yeah fascism bolshevism they're all of both of the left i mean there's not they're all the too same, much difference they? between the two to be honest i mean you think about it um but uh yeah that's that's exactly what we have got and uh, i think the last five years in total have been absolutely crazy i mean after the referendum you know i think that was a big kickback to the global powers that be the one to you know destroy national sovereignty and people says no we want our national sovereignty we're not having your plans and uh we had four and a half years of them trying to d overturn it and eventually we got brexit but i would say well it's it's only really a half brexit it's not really a proper brexit in many areas but you know it's something but it's not everything um but but as soon as you know well even before that you know we've got this um destruction of our civil liberties and destruction of our economy and small businesses going on and uh i, w I never would have imagined that this would happen in england this is what you you know i grew up re you know watching films about what happens the other side of the iron curtain what's what, what what was portrayed there is what's happening in england i mean I, w I went down to the beach earlier today um first time i've been to the beach for for months just to get some fresh air but you know normally i'd go and sit in a cafe everything's closed and so you know it's it's bleak as well as um you know uh, a place where we don't have our, our liberties and freedoms it's, you know there's well, they don't want they don't want you to associate with other people i mean that's that's part of it isn't it that mm. that they don't want you going to pubs because then yeah. we could be having conversations like this with large groups of people mm. talking about this this ain't right and and yeah. and formulating plans mm. that 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 they would they, they don't want that to happen tell me what what's your background what 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 are you working class are you i guess i would say do? like be lower middle class i don't know working lower middle something like that i mean i i grew up on in sussex but you know not a I, it was on a council estate but it was sort of with houses i wasn't in a tower block or anything um to my mother i was with a single single mother and and her grand my grandparents on, on her side um my father's jamaican but he left before I was born. So uh, unfortunately, I never met him. So, you know, I, I was right. brought up in, in England um, entirely. So, you know, I'm, 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 I'm English, British, you know, obviously with a, a mi mixed heritage, as you, you might say. But uh, yeah, so that's my background.
People can't see how how how, how tall you are. I, w- I was quite struck <laughs> by by you 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 are quite a presence. Well, because I, I don't think I'd, I'd I'd met you before before that that rally that in uh, was it Hyde Park? I think it. Yeah, Corner. yeah. That was, yeah. that was that was one of the first ones. It was, you know, that's it. I went to. I went to lots of those in the summer just to watch what was going on on both sides. And, you know, I, I, you, you, got, um, uh, you got your collar felt by the police, didn't you, at one of them? I, 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 almost, got, I almost got arrested. Yeah, they, they, <laughs> oh, they, they certainly threatened me with... But, I mean, I was there as, you know, as a, as a reporter covering it, covering yeah. it apart from anything else. <laughs> right. but, but tell me, this is, this, here's, a, here's a thing that's been worrying me as well, to do with... It's clear to me, and, and I'm presuming to you too that the conservative party is finished as a as a vessel for people who believe in limited government freedom free markets it's it, it's become a it's become part of the globalist problem it, it, it's a they, they've become the facilitators of the globalist elite yeah. They're completely on board with the green with the green agenda. They don't seem very much interested in in free markets or freedom of any kind. That they they have become totalitarians. Mm. Uh, you've got Labour under Keir Starmer, who's a member of the Trilateral Commission, which is behind mm. the World Economic Forum, behind the United Nations Agenda 2030. So they're very much on board with the Great Reset and everything. Um, and we, we've got Nigel Farage being use, useless, Richard Tice being fine, but I mean, you know, I don't think it's enough. Um, we've got you, we've got Lawrence Fox. We're going to need some, some coalition of mm. rebels to overthrow this corrupt system. And I'm not really seeing that energy the moment and what's more and this is the, the really thing that worry i think that the government have been preparing for this for quite some time and i tell you what one of the things i've uh, really disturbed me you know when when you take the red pill and you realize that the 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 blue pill world is the construct of the evil machine creatures you know that that the world is not as as it as it seems and one of my early red pill moments was watching the way Tommy Robinson was treated. Mm. I don't know how. Do you know Tommy Robinson? Have you ever come across him? No, I I met him very very briefly once, you know, for about a couple of seconds. So I mean, I don't. I wouldn't say I really no. know him as such. Yeah. No. I, I I first became interested in Tommy Robinson because there was a very very strong media narrative, um, pursued with the same unanimity and rigorousness of the the media's denial that Trump had his election stolen. I mean, you know, the entirety of our media refused mm. to acknowledge that this was a stolen election by, by Joe mm. Biden, that Trump mm. got all the votes. Nowhere did you read that in even the conservative newspapers. And in the same way, nowhere, nowhere would you find anyone with a kind word to say about Tommy Robertson. He was a bit like the Emmanuel Goldstein of, 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 mm. of politics, you know, in 1984, where Emmanuel Goldstein is, is, is the, the target for the hate of, mm. of you know the um, everyone can demonstrate that this is this is the this is the evil against which the regime is set mm. you know he is the other in the same way that I saw um, 
Tommy Robinson being earmarked for that role. So I was quite curious to find out how much truth there was. And I interviewed him a, a, a few times and I thought, yeah, he's a he's a working class boy. Um, he's, you know, he likes to fight. He's he handy with his fists. Mm. You know, he comes from a, grew up on a state in Luton. But one of the things I noticed was this guy is not racist. He's got, He's got black friends. He's got Muslim friends because he's grown up in this in this in this world where you're not really bothered by people's skin color anymore mm. or by their you, you know you're that's not it's not like that. So that that sort of that sort of brought me up short slightly. I thought, why are they demonizing this this guy? Mm. And then I, and then I, I heard the background to why he became this political animal, and it was to do with with you know the rape gangs and understandably. Mm they weren't being dealt with by the police, you know, for, for, for years. So the local the victim groups, i.e. the white working classes and, and the Sikhs were the, who were the main victims mm. of these rape gangs, they started sort of forming street patrols or whatever. I, I mean, I, I forget the details, but they, were, they started out as a resistance to an injustice that the police were not correcting. Mm. So I followed, I followed Tommy Robinson's career since, and I've been to some of the court cases he's been involved in. Some of them he wasn't as well prepared as he might be, but it was very clear to me that the English justice system was not fair in mm. its treatment of Tommy Robinson. He'd been singled out for special treatment. In fact, mm. I almost think that it would have quite suited them had he been killed in prison. Mm. I think they were that. Now, um, parallel with that, related uh, to that rather, is this you hear London that uh, some of the London police chief bods talking about the threat from the far right, the far mm, right. Mm. Now, this thing called the far right, I'm very suspicious of because I'm often called far right. I mean, what for, for <laughs> being a kind of classical liberal straight liberty, you know, I'm just, I'm just mm. you know, I'm not far right. Um, but there is there has been this this um, campaign by the authorities to brand anyone who speaks out against the status quo from a kind of freedomish perspective mm. as far right. And I think that they are they are sort of they were preparing the ground for shutting down people like you and me and and mm. Lawrence Fox and anyone who goes outside the Overton window of, of, the, of, of the main political parties. Have you got any thoughts on this? Sorry, that's a long yeah. Time. No, you're absolutely right. Because, I mean, when you look at terrorism, I mean, in this country and around the world, the main threat yeah. from terrorism is Islamist terrorism. No question. Yeah. I mean, it makes up, what, 85% or something of all terrorist attacks and or people who die from terrorist attacks. The remainder is about half far left and half what they might call far right, you know, and, you know, that's sort so of... far left are far more active, I think. Yeah. I, I mean, a lot more violence, mm. just just on order of magnitude, probably from the from the from the so-called far right. You get yeah. these little group of schools of, of people mm. that seem to have a, a, a fondness for Nazi insignia or whatever. Yeah. But they, yeah. they don't seem to do much. But no, I mean, you, you look I at... Mean, they don't the, seem to be, oh, they, they don't seem yeah. to be a threat. 
Not, not, not. I mean, occasionally there is something going on, but you know, it, it's usually of the of the sort of order of magnitude of someone sticks a notice in the letterbox saying "White Lives Matter" or something, and you get the screeching headlines: "Oh, white supremacists with this hate message." Yeah. It's just like, well, Black Lives Matter, White Lives Matter. Cool, they're both true. What's the problem? And then they 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 pursue this narrative of like the far right is everywhere. It's endemic. We've got to root it out when it's not an issue at all. But yeah, the far left, as you say, you've got Antifa, you've got Black Lives Matter. You saw the, how violent they were in London last summer, particularly on the sixth or seventh of June when there was the the protests in. Um, Whitehall, where they were intimidating some of the police, they got on their knees, and then afterwards there was a lot of trouble on the South Bank, gang, marauding gangs of Black Lives Matter leftists going and uh, attacking people and robbing people and so on. Um, yeah, you know this was happening. There's an in terrible violence, and, and and this this is nothing compared to what's going on in America. Even now, you know, even now they've got their guy as won the election. You've still got riots going on in Portland and uh, other places around the United States. I mean, this is all far left. The media don't want anything to do with it. They just pretend like it's not happening. But, you know, some someone would go around uh, with a Confederate flag and make a little bit of noise and suddenly, oh, my goodness, the far right here, uh, call the Marines. It's, it's crazy. Um, but but th- this is a global strategy um, th- that is going on. And um, London is part of the network of cities, which are called the Strong Cities Network. You might have heard of it. And um, yeah. The, the strong cities network i mean it's it's trying to implement policies outside of the democratic system and you've got also yeah. the the um uh what's the other one called the smart cities network is another network with very you know the, most of the same cities are in in both networks so the strong cities network is 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 mainly um ostensibly to do with counter terrorism but the terrorism that they are countering is always far right. So they're completely focused on far right. But then when it comes to Islamist terrorism, it's like, well, we need to tone our down what we say about that because we need to make sure there's good social cohesion and diversity and make sure that everybody feels included. So we shouldn't talk about Islamist terrorism or terrorism from ethnic groups if they come from there. It's all far right, far right, far right. Even if there isn't any far right terrorism, the Strong Cities Network is there to actually... Um, try to find it and and uh, magnify it and 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 create these narratives and you've got in this country london manchester birmingham leicester luton it's interesting because that's where tommy robinson is from luton small town well i suppose it's a large town but it's you know not not huge in compared to yeah, other cities so how come you've got seven or eight towns or cities in the uk and then in the smart strong cities network and one of them is luton um you know which is smaller than plymouth or southampton or norwich mm. and they're not in it it's, it's very interesting um that that's where they're sort of focused on um you know this, this activity to generate the idea that there's a a far right that needs to be fought um with yeah. with the apparatus of the state so yes yeah i think that's 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 certainly going on it's 
Um, are you finding any support for your for your party? I mean, how, yeah. What's your, what's your membership? Or, uh, well, you about? know, we're we're a few hundred at the moment with members and volunteers, so we're very small. You know, we don't have a a huge donor like like some of the others. I mean, I think that the the Brexit Party, which which is now Reform. I mean, I think they they had with 17 million pounds or something of donations and income in the last year you know obviously we haven't got anything like that you know because we we are really grassroots at the moment i mean we are um but it, it's it's really fantastic you know i'm enjoying uh leading a party i never thought i would lead a political party but here i am doing it but there's people who are joining but everyone is so keen to get involved and start branches at the grassroots level so i think the difference between us and some of the other things you've mentioned um reform reclaim and so on they're very centralized parties i mean the brexit party was very very centralized i mean it was Nigel Farage, Richard Tice, and then everyone else was a supporter. You know, there, there wasn't, there weren't branches. Oh yeah, totally. There were, they didn't want branches to form. People, people get to know each other and and have any autonomy. Whereas we do, and you know, you can look on Facebook. We got Heritage Party, Warwickshire, Nottinghamshire, Northeast, Surrey, Kent, London. You know, already we got um, branches all over the country are setting up, and you know, there's maybe one or two dozen people at the moment in each. But um, people are coming and joining, and um, it's this really <coughs> lovely, lovely people who are joined who, who genuinely care about the country. And, and you know what what we found in, in the Heritage Party is that the vast majority <coughs> of the people are people who have never been involved in politics before, but they think, well, this is just so crazy. We've got to get involved and we've got to do something. We've got to stand as candidates to try to overturn the madness, you know, get our civil liberties back, get our businesses open again, stop, you know, LGBT sure. propaganda going to primary school kids and, you know, make sure we don't have I... vaccine passports and all of these kind of things that the, 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 the Tories are bringing in with the help of labor you know there and, and people want to fight it there's there's got to be a market for a party which is in the business of recapturing i i'm not sure it, it, it can ever quite be regained but the old normal the, mm. the, the 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 britain that we all grew up in and and love and the britain of i don't know the the Dunk the the nineteen fifty eight Dunkirk movie, not the not the stupid <laughs> the, the glossy modern version, yeah. and and I don't know went the day well, and just just the sort of growing up in the shadow of World War Two and the values of those people who stood up against Hitler, and the sort of you know when we used to say things like it's a free country, yeah, and 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 took it for granted that it was a free country, um, when. People were generally tolerant, but not in that kind of weaponized tolerance way that, you know, whenever you, you, you had the Cameron regime talking about what are our British values? And it was, mm. we are tolerant. Yeah, well, maybe mm. we are, but that that's wasn't, that's not a defining characteristic. We're, we're, I, I think George Orwell probably covered it better, didn't he, in his, in his line in the Unicorn essay when he talked about all the characteristics. You know, we're suspicious of intellectuals and we're suspicious mm. of demagogues. And, and, but 
but we we sort of quietly know we're 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 the best without having to boast about it and things like all mm. all this this stuff. Now, if somebody like you or Lawrence Fox or you and Lawrence Fox or or whoever could capture that and bottle it and turn it into a political party, then mm. it would be great. But but the problem is 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 it not? Uh, and I, I I saw this at going to early UKIP meetings, for example, that if you, I mean, I, I, I like your decentralized approach, but the the danger of that is that you get people with very strong feelings about what what your party's policy policy should be. Mm. I remember going to one UKIP meeting and being buttonholed by somebody who wanted to ban fox hunting, and I was mm. thinking, well. <laughs> I'm not really sure it's UKIP's business to be banning fox hunting, and I'm not sure that you should that that, that you should be in UKIP if that's what you think it mm. is. It's a kind of it's a we should be thinking about bigger pictures than that, about limited government mm. and about protecting ourselves from arbitrary authority, which is what we're experiencing now. Mm. But I, I worry about both you and Lawrence because you're both really nice. Oh, thank uh, you. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, but you are nice, and but is that going to be enough? I mean, I'm not saying I, I want you to be Hitler, mm. but maybe I'd like you to some to have a bit more of Hitler's kind of. But <laughs> 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 uh, what, what am I saying here? Um, Straight. His... Well, well, look, look and see how I question Sadiq Khan. You know, I don't pull any punches. Okay. I ask him the questions that people want to ask. I've asked him about grooming gangs. I ask him about vaccines. I ask him oh, well about done. the police you know, bashing crowds with, you know, like like the with, with the sending the riot police in. I've I've stood up. And Did said, you? And yeah. I, I bet he didn't answer that one at all. He didn't have an answer. He looked really, really uncomfortable. And every time, as well, he? I, I don't really know. I, I'll have to ask somebody. Uh, I can write to you about it. Because really, I mean, the, 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 back in September when this happened, there was an outcry, you know, about the behaviour of the police. And so I, I asked him about what that. What was that? In the next... Yeah. It, I, so, so you... I mean, have you got a lot of kind of fellow travellers in the, the, the London Assembly? No, I mean, there's Peter. Obviously, Peter Whittle. I mean, he's, he's Peter Whittle. He's good. Yeah, because we were we were elected both for UKIP in in 2016. So we still sit in the same group together. I mean, we when we both left, um, we changed the name of the group to the Brexit Alliance because you know at the time we were still fighting for Brexit, but you know we we still called that because you know we're we're nearly at the end of the term, so there's no point in changing our name now. Um, but but very few others. I mean, there's one or two of the conservatives who will come up and say quietly, "I really love what you said." I agree with everything you said, but they wouldn't say it themselves publicly because they're so scared of being called Islamophobic or homophobic, yeah, yeah. transphobic or xenophobic or whatever. So they won't say all of these things that they actually believe in, um, which is, uh, you know, really kind of strange. They're so um, adherent to the party line, which is basically, you know, wishy-washy woke. I would say, you know, in term, in in cultural terms, yeah. Um, oh yeah. So I was just I was just waving at my wife to to say that that yes, a, tea, a cup of tea would be welcome. <laughs> I mean, we are we are English after all. Um, I was. This is this is quite um this is quite a tricksy topic. So so the other day I had on the podcast a guy called Josh. Did you see the video he made? 
No, no. He's oh, on Twitter. He's he was he was running as he was talking. Ah, yes, um, yes. He did it, and it was very it was very moving and very persuasive. And he was you know he was talking about how his business had been affected by the lockdown and and it was a sort of cry for freedom and i thought i'll I'll get him on the podcast and we had a we had a very interesting conversation i thought he was a charismatic character and and then afterwards people pointed me people in my patreon pointed to his telegram and they say some of some of his stuff was like white nationalist it was it was there were there were anti-semitic stuff going on and I mean that was that was sort of that bothered me. Um, obviously, for, for 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 the obvious reasons. I mean, I'm I'm actually I'm I'm rather fond of Jews. I, I'm 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 you know I'm the other way. I'm massively philosemitic. Although I have to say I'm I'm I've started to abandon my kind of um, Israel is the best place in the world attitude ever since I've seen how they've handled the coronavirus. Mm. I mean, they've really revealed themselves as brutal authoritarians you know like mm. everything that the everything that the palestine lot say accuse israel of being they've shown themselves to be in the in this ah. their brutal vaccine enforcement so mm. but but what i'm what i'm wondering is there are if we are if we are to defeat this menace and i don't know whether we're going to do it i mean i i, I think uh, you understand, I think, and I understand that what we're experiencing is a, a global coup by some very nasty, very powerful people in the form of the technocratic movement and their mm. useful idiots or their agents, if you like, their enablers in government. I mean, you know, I look at Boris Johnson, I look at Michael Gove, I I look at Hancock. And I do not see representatives of, of a conservative government. I do not see autonomous individuals mm. representing Britain. I see puppets of, mm. uh, of of the next layer up of 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 powerful, you know, powerful forces, yeah. the technocratic movement, the Trilateral Commission, and so on. This problem is serious. It's going to destroy our economy. It's going to kill millions of jobs that are never going to come back it's going to create this uh people are going to be dependent on the state more than ever before we'll probably have universal basic income we might even have these compulsory um uh mrna vaccines which could alter our dna Mm. permanently i mean it could be really 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 frightening and i don't get the impression that people who might be sympathetic to our cause realize how bad the situation is and how desperately we mm. need a united political movement um to fight back i see you as part of that i see lawrence fox as part of that but i also see these people like like josh that although i feel uncomfortable with the idea of white national nationalism you know wh- when it's about skin color mm. i do very much feel that there is there is a movement which ought to embrace nationalism itself and embrace the things that make us british you know regardless mm. of our skin color regardless of our uh, of our religion i'm sure there are lots of muslims who, who who would be on board with this i'm sure there are lots of loads of black people obviously mm. um because i think a lot of black people don't even think of themselves as you know <laughs> that they're, they're, 
it's true, isn't it? They they, they don't yeah. think of uh, when I when I when I have a, a conversation with with somebody who's black who's not woke. I don't even see their skin color. Mm. I, 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 they're a they're a British person, aren't they? I mean, they're they're just yeah. We're all the same. So how do we how do we sort of capture people like Josh and stuff and find a formula that enables them to realize it's not just about white nationalism; it's about something more than that. How do we how do we do that? Mm. Yeah, there's so many people doing really good things, but but all sort of separate. I know that's this that's that's the issue at the moment isn't it it's 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 i think it's something that is you, you know um more of an issue sort of on you might say the traditional right if you like or rather than left although those those um terms don't have so much meaning anymore because we're we're all competitive and entrepreneurial and we're all doing different things you know i'm starting the heritage party your guy josh is running across the country there's people you know starting the uh, newspapers and so on publications to fight for freedom there's all these different freedom groups doing you know there's there's about seven <laughs> five or six different groups who organize rallies you know with different characters at the head of them so we're all doing something um but we're all sort of like um um uh you know um making our own paths if you like and it's like a loose connection between us all um but you know i'm what i'm trying to do with the heritage party is something specifically in politics and and i know people have said to me and other things why don't you get involved in this we we're, we're doing a legal case and that's fantastic but i don't think that's my role at the moment to get involved in legal cases and other people say why don't you come and do this activism with us and that's great but it's not my job my my time needs to go into what we're doing here in in politics and so we do need action across the spectrum i think we need activism on the streets so that people again see large numbers of people um defying these republicans we've got to have that yeah We've got to have that. We've got to have people taking legal action, judicial reviews. They haven't worked so far, but other cases, for example, against discrimination. If you're, if the you know certain you know businesses or sectors are not going to uh, give you services because you don't have a vaccine, there's a huge need for people to start preparing and bringing these legal cases um, to, so that people are not discriminated against if they don't wear a mask or they don't have. Um, an injection of uh, mRNA but we need the politics as well so that's what I'm trying to do is to start a political party that will grow I hope will get so much support that you know we'll get 10 million people voting for us I mean that's my ultimate aim well I like your, I like your name I like heritage embraces a lot of a lot of things and it's a it's a nice mm. it, I mean it's quintessentially English isn't it or British mm. The, 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 we've we've got we've got more heritage than almost anybody, haven't we? We've got heritage <laughs> yeah. coming out of our ears, but heritage embraces not just architecture and art and 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 yeah, well, it, it, culture. Mm. It, it embraces Morris dancing and and <laughs> yeah. fox hunting and football matches and all all the different bog snorkeling, all the different things that people might be interested in, which are which are I, I think slowly going to be erased. You know, I was reading. I'm reading a book at the moment by Bruff Scott. Um, you're probably not into horses. Uh, it's about, it's called Churchill at the Saddle. 
And it's a history of Churchill seen through his writing. And I was reading it and uh, Churchill's mother was a racehorse breeder and had a, when Churchill was at Harrow, he had this, his parents had this fantastic racehorse, which kept winning loads and loads of races. Mm. And you can imagine what this must have done for young Winston's ego. You know, he must have been a total hero to his schoolmates. And, and you, and you probably had boys, members of staff sort of, um, uh, I don't know, uh, greenskeepers, whatever they're called, uh, um, all, all, all sorts of, uh, uh, making money out of putting bets on, on, on the, on the Churchill <laughs> horse. Yeah. Anyway, um, in the, in the, Scott mentions the uh, the five English classic races. Do you know what they are? Classic. Oh goodness me! Um, Epsom. I'm going to test you because you were quite knowledgeable about the, about the Black Death. <laughs> I was. I'm not. I'm not so knowledgeable about sport. I don't know. Um, gosh, classic races. Are you talking the horse races? Um, the five. No, they're called the five classics. And it's not. It's not a kind of. You know, it's not grand, some word that's been. In, I imagine. The no. Grand, no. No. Uh, the Derby, the they're the yeah, that's one of them. Okay, um, you'll be I, here, Reg. You'll, I'm, you'll I'm never get give up with this because I have no okay. knowledge of this, unfortunately. So, there's the 1000 guineas, the 2000 guineas, there's the Oaks, there's the Derby, and the St. Ledger. Now, the only reason the, the reason I mention that is that there would have been a time probably up until I would say the 1980s when, when most people would have known because they're part of our culture. Yeah. And can you imagine now how many people would know, even though racing, I mean, horse racing, it's in our blood. It's, it's everyone, everyone loves a flutter on the grand national, don't they? Well, they did, but are they going to, is that going to, going to happen in the future when nobody's allowed to go to the grand national? I mean, you need the excitement of the horse race, don't you? Yeah. To, yeah. Uh, that's part of the, I'm sure it spurs the jockeys on. It excites the horses that yeah. it's, it's remove that. And what have you got? You've got this sort of sterile site of horses running around a, a track. Mm. Yeah. It's, but you'd be there um, thinking, what, what am I doing? It's going to be so bizarre, isn't it? You know, <laughs> I suppose what I'm saying is that there is so much of our culture that is not about, about race or that, that it's just ours. that belongs mm. to all of us. Yeah. And I think that if we can somehow find a formula, find a party that that pursues those rigorously mm. and doesn't get distracted by loons who want to ban fox hunting, say, or, or, or whatever stupid idea they've got, which is which is antithetical to our to our liberties, then we might might be onto something. But I'm I'm not seeing it. Oh, the other the other point I wanted to make was that I don't think we can. This this thing that people started doing when when they they looked at Josh's um, Telegram feed and saying, "Oh, I'm not sure you should be associating with him." What mm. I remember going to one of the early rallies um, for the lockdown, and I regret saying this, but I but I I did say this. Somebody said to me, "Why don't you speak up at one of these rallies? Will you come and speak up?" And I said rather snobbishly, "I said the problem at the moment is that that." The people here, they, they, they kind of, 
they're all sort of slightly weird. They're all mm. five anti five G, and they're all anti vaxxers, mm. and they're all you know they're all David Icke fans. Shame on me for saying that because these were the people out there from the start mm. who uh, recognised what was going on. I don't think we can reach for the smelling salts every 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 time somebody has a view which might be suspect. We need to bring them on side to channel their energy, not to mm. you know not not to encourage anti antisemitism or anything else, but to recognise that there's going to be a very disparate bunch of people fighting this fight. And we can't afford to lose allies just because we're getting sort of squeamish about this or that. We need to unite yeah. to find a kind of compelling vision. Well, I think that's what's really fantastic about some of the rallies that have happened. <laughs> where <coughs> people have been... <coughs> I need a dive, cup of tea. I need a cup of tea as well. <laughs> you'll give fuel to the enemy. I will. Yeah. COVID skeptic dies of coronavirus in podcast. Yeah. Oh, do you know, the other day there was a, a, a very sad story of a, a man who died in Shropshire and he was a, you know, a so-called COVID denier, as they said, you know, he's just a, a normal guy. And um, he, but he'd liked one of my tweets and um, there, there was a massive story in the standard about this, you know, COVID denier. And he, he's retweeted me and he, um, he retweeted something from Julia Hartley Brewer and he liked one of my tweets. And suddenly it's my fault that somebody died. He sounds like a fascist to me, David. He sounds like a, he, he sounds like far right. <laughs> Lovely artist, apparently. But, <laughs> yeah. But anyway, that, that's the sort of the, the narrative that that's the sort of stories that get made up. You know, I, I, I'm responsible because I don't agree with the, the, um, lockdown and mask wearing so if anybody dies because they don't wear a mask which you don't die I'm, my words are wrong there you know you don't die because you don't wear a mask but if someone dies of covid and then they um it's found that they were against mask wearing it's like oh well they're a covid denier and they died you know it's uh they make they make horrible sort of political capital out of these things i know but um what were we talking about before they were yeah, I, <laughs> a very whatever but people, i was going to ask you i, I think I, i've got to eat my toast now um otherwise i might get you know um i might start yeah, um yeah. people have people have got to see what a lovely what a lovely guy you are but can i i so so i wanted to ask you i mean apart from your dangerously nationalistic iconography in the background there i see you've got a union flag which is Dude. which is pretty much the kind of thing it's the kind of thing Hitler would do. You, you've got to admit it. It's like you are you are literally Hitler. But tell me, how do you get how do you get treated? I mean, do, do they do they call you far right? I mean, I I get an awful lot of abuse on social media. I've been called all kinds of things. You know, um, yeah, you know, Uncle Tom, the usual things, coconut, all this kind of stuff. Um, I've, I've People who don't know my my color, I was in a really interesting debate on a a television channel. It was about something to do with BLM, and uh, you know I was just saying that um, you know we we should uh, 
be proud of Churchill and, and the other person they couldn't see me because we were like this but we couldn't see each other and they said from a white man you're a white man you would say that you know so I get this idea because I have a certain uh, opinions of people who don't uh, see me they assume that I I'm white because of my opinions or something which is it's, you know it's just um, sort of unconscious bias if you like to sort of um, put that back on them but um, but yeah no I I don't I used to get called far right more than I do now um maybe back in the, the days when I UKIP was was still going on I was still in UKIP and Brexit was still going on but I don't I don't now people now sort of now they call me a covidiot and an anti-vaxxer and um and also I'm I'm a granny killer because I'm responsible for the deaths of people who who die from covid because I say I don't think that masks are necessary and so on and I don't think that vaccines are necessary so so the kind of abuse and the the lexicon of smearage has changed it's quite a good phrase isn't yeah. it <laughs> A lexicon of smearage. I bet you're proud of that. Yeah, exactly. That's worthy of that's worthy out. of Shakespeare. Well done. The lexicon of smearage. Yeah, yeah. That's that's <laughs> that's good. That's good. No, it's interesting um, that you do get exposed to this lexicon of smearage because that's how they how they roll, isn't it? It's it's about it's not really about engaging with your views. It's about closing you down. It's about other, as, as they would say, if, if we were on a lefty university course, they would say they were othering you and they were using whatever, you know, if they if they didn't know you were mixed race, they they, they accuse you of being a white person. And when that, that, particular, that particular insult fails, they'll just move on to whatever's whatever's handy. They, they used yeah. to call me a homophobe all the time or a transphobe because I, you know, I'm, I'm, well, I don't agree are. with Stonewall's policies. You know, it's political. I, I yeah. don't agree with those things. And you know, so that that's a very common smear that gets thrown at me like all the time. I mean, I, I think I keep pink news in business because they, uh, they do a story on me every other month because something I've said. But uh, I'm a homophobe. I'm a transphobe. And now there's um queer phobe or that's another one that's just just um you know been invented <laughs> so but but i th- i think people have now like they've moved on from that because they know oh yeah it's curtain he says that it's just what he does um but but yeah no, it's, it's great the, it, this it's, I, you've given me a fantastic um list of of epithets <laughs> when, when i when i describe um who you are i <laughs> for, for, the, for the blur below below my i can say david curtain transphobe homophobe coconut um far right um fascist yeah uh, covid denying granny killer it'd be great (laughs) see see i'm not such a nice person after all am i (laughs) yeah you are you are though you're really nice that's the thing i i I, yeah you 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 exude niceness it's like you're a big you're a big cuddly teddy bear and that could be your undoing david i'm sorry Oh, well, you know, I've survived five years so far, so I hope I'll get another five <laughs> in politics. Well, more more than that, more yes. than that. We need, yeah. we need you. Um, David, thank you for being on the podcast. It's been an absolute, absolute pleasure. And um, uh, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please don't forget to support me on Patreon and or Subscribestar. Uh, you, can, you can find my podcast at... Um, dellingpoleworld.com i think there's an archive there and i'm on 
well you know what you know where to find me yeah anyway um again thank you david great to have you on and um and good luck um thank you it's been really great i've enjoyed it thanks james good thanks a lot bye-bye bye